2 Kings 13, Elisha becomes sick with the illness of which he would die, and then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face. If you are familiar with names of the Old Testament kings, this is not the good King Joash, the king of Judah. This is king of Israel with the same name, but he's not a good guy. The Bible says he did evil just like his fathers, and he didn't obey God, and he worshiped the idols. And so he's not a good guy, but he knows that prophet Elisha has been prophet in Israel for decades. Elisha had anointed his grandfather Jehu and his father. So even though they, didn't, they weren't faithful to Yahweh God, they still had, this family had a respect for Elisha and they knew that the power of God rested on him. Elisha had done some pretty powerful miracles. And so when he finds out that Elisha is dying, Joash goes and cries over him to say goodbye. Elisha is probably in his 80s. And Joash is maybe in his late 20s. He's a young king, just, just had just become king. And he needs some reassurance that he's what, he's, what he needs to do as king. And so he, he goes to the old prophet and, and he's weeping. And Elisha says to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took for himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it, and Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. So um, this direction's east. I'm not going to actually shoot any arrows this morning. I would like to, but it, we won't do that. You know, he knocks his arrow, and there's a window in the east, which is the direction of, of Syria, their main enemy, and he says, shoot your arrow out the window. So what Elisha is having King Joash do here is called a prophetic act. I told you about that a couple weeks ago when we had talked about Jeremiah buying his field, that God tells people to do something that doesn't make any sense, doesn't look like it really has any power or anything to it. It's just, it's just an act. But when we obey in faith to this meaningless or silly or maybe even foolish thing that God says to do, then he fulfills it. Uh, so here's this prophetic act where... The king is crying about, he's, I'm going to lose Elisha and his voice of God in my life. And even though he doesn't really obey God at all, he wants the power of God available to him when he wants to check out what God might say. I'm sure nobody in this room is like that. It's just our family members. You know, they're not really following God, but they have some respect for the Lord. Yeah. And so Elisha says, take an arrow and shoot it out the east window. And so he does. And... Elisha says, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And then Elisha tells the king, Joash, the young king, take the arrows. And so he took them. Doesn't say how many he had in his hand, but he's got these arrows in his hand. And he says, I'll strike the ground. So here's the king and strike the ground. Or, or maybe it's like this. I don't know, but he's stacked the ground. So he struck three times. And stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria until you destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. This little story, it's just a few verses, is a really important lesson for us about receiving the word of the Lord and how our obedience plays such a big part in what God will do. I want to point out to you that. At first, God promises King Joash total victory over his enemies. You will destroy them. 
And then, as just a test of faith, the prophet tells King, strike the ground with your arrows. So he strikes it three times. And we're not told why Elisha got angry with him. What was it about Joash's obedience or attitude or his acting this out that wasn't right? I don't know. Um, we, we can't tell. But it's very obvious that he did it. He did it. Even though he did it, he did it with some sort of an attitude or casualness. Or maybe he's rolling his eyes and sighing, okay, well, here's the crazy old prophet. I'll just do what he says. And maybe it'll result in some magic in my next battle. I don't know what it is that he's doing that makes Elisha upset, but Elisha is angry with him, and he says, you should have struck five or six times, but now you'll only win three battles. So I want to point out to you that God made a promise of complete destruction of his enemies, but because he responded half-heartedly, then it actually changed the promise of God. And he was not going to have complete victory, even though God said he could. When he responded half-heartedly, then it changed what God promised. So what I imagine is this young king, he's afraid that the prophet is dying. This, this is the prophet that prophesied to my grandfather when he was king and my dad when he was king. And now he's dying and I'm going to lose him. And he's not really interested in obeying God but he wants to know what God would promise that would benefit him. Again, I'm sure no one, no one here is like that, but it's a temptation that we want, to, we want God to promise us good things even when we're only obeying half-heartedly. So what I picture is Joash takes the arrows and he's like, okay, I'll just play along with this silly old man He's got some magic juice, and maybe I'll have some victory in my next battle, but he's just sort of casually or half-heartedly tapping the arrows. When Sarah and I were talking about this last night, she said he didn't respond with exuberance. He didn't own the word of the Lord. He didn't take what God said. God said, I will give you total victory over your enemies, and he didn't say, yes, I received that. What do I need to do? Somehow, we don't know exactly, but somehow he didn't, uh, he didn't respond with complete obedience. So he got a complete promise, but the complete promise didn't come true because he didn't respond with faith and actually changed the word of the Lord. So he got a partial fulfillment. But I want to point out also, God still says, you will win your battle three times. So he still got God's help. He got a miracle. He got some supernatural victory, but it wasn't what was in God's mind. It wasn't what God wanted. He only got part of it because he was sort of casual or half-hearted in his obedience. I want to read to you a passage um, written by A.B. Simpson 150 years ago. He says, how striking and eloquent the message of these words. Joash thought that he had done very well when he duplicated and triplicated what to him was certainly an extraordinary act of faith. But the Lord and the prophet were bitterly disappointed because he stopped halfway. He got something. He actually got much. He got exactly what he believed for in the final analysis. But he did not get all that the prophet meant and all that the Lord wanted to bestow. He missed much of the meaning of the promise and the fullness of the blessing. He got something better than the human, but he didn't get God's best. Beloved, how solemn is this application. How heart-searching the message of God to us. 
how important that we should learn to pray through. We shall claim all the fullness of the promise and all the possibilities of believing prayer. Hebrews 4.2 says, The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. God makes a lot of promises. There are very few people that see them come true. And the problem is never on God's end. The Bible is full of promises. God makes big promises of total deliverance. But Hebrews says when it's not mixed with faith, it doesn't profit us. So I'm here to ask you this morning, does scripture come true in your life? Do you see God's promises in fulfillment all over your life? Personal prophecies and scripture, visions and dreams, the commands of God, do you see that? As Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think or imagine. But what actually happens in our life is according to the power that works in us. How much have you let him work in you? He can do anything. But what, actually, what we actually see to come to pass in our own personal lives is according to the power that works in us. I want to read from the devotional Streams in the Desert written about this verse. There is no other such piling up of words in Paul's writing as these, exceedingly, abundantly, above all. Each word is packed with infinite love and power to do for his praying saints. There is one limitation, according to the power that works in us. He will do just as much for us as we let him do in us. That is key. He will do just as much for us as we let him do in us. The power that saved us, washed us with his own blood, filled us with his mighty spirit, kept us through many temptations, that power will work for us, meeting every emergency, every crisis, every circumstance, and every adversary. So my next question for you this morning is, what have you let him do to you? What have you let him do to you? I mean in conviction of sin, in repentance, in changing how you speak and how you think and what you watch and where you go and who you date. What have you let him do to you? What have you let him do in you? That is the measure of what will happen for you. Whatever you let him do to you, that is the measure of what will happen for you. Because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think but it is according to the power that we let work in us. Joash was just sort of half-heartedly casual. Okay, yeah, I'll do what the prophet says. I'll just go through the motions so that I can somehow get God's magic power when I have to go to battle. He didn't strike his arrows with all his heart. He didn't mix it with faith, as Hebrews says. So I want to talk to you about striking your arrows this morning. Um, we don't want to respond to what God promises or commands like King Joash. He was lazy about it. 
So I want to talk to you about striking your arrows. And the first thing that I want to say is that we have to understand that life is a battle and we have to fight. This life is a fight. And the fact that we talk about God's deliverance and healing and salvation, none of that means I can stand by and not participate in the battle and just wait on Jesus to fix everything. All of history proves that isn't the way God works. That isn't the, the truth. Let's go to Joshua 21, verse 44 and 45. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. And not one of them of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord handed all their enemies over to them. All of God's promises were fulfilled. That's the same statement twice. But God's promises didn't mean that they didn't have to fight a battle. It says when they went to battle, God gave them victory. But they didn't just stand there and twiddle their thumbs and say, God, bring me blessings. God, fix all my problems. Jesus, save me. While laying there in panic, frozen, I can't do anything about this. I'm a victim. I'm an innocent bystander in my own life. They went to battle. They picked up their swords and their bows and arrows and they fought. And God gave them deliverance. That's how God's promises come to pass is when you fight the devil. Well, Mitch, that's Old Testament. They were always fighting and they had their armies and marauders and walled cities and that was just their world and we live in the modern world and we live in the new covenant and Jesus already won all our battles for us. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus paid for it all on the cross. Yes, he won the victory of all victories. But that doesn't mean I'm passively watch my life happen and just hope that whatever happens is God's will. Uh, we have to pick up a sword and fight. The faith in Jesus Christ is not passive. You're not an innocent bystander in your own life. You are a soldier in the army of the Lord and you must engage the enemy. Life will not be brought to you as you just casually stand aside and watch the world go by and say, well, whatever God wants to happen is going to happen. Get in the fight. There's this story from World War II. It's in the Band of Brothers movie. It's a true story, real people. There was a private that, jumped, that parachuted into France on D-Day. His name was Albert Blythe. And when he landed, the battle guns going off and cannons and tanks and all, and he got so scared he went blind. When there was a battle happening, he would go total pitch back, black blind. And then when the battle would stop, he could see again. And it was real. He wasn't lying. He wasn't faking it because he was a coward. He was just, he was literally scared blind. And the doctors called it hysterical blindness. And he got picked on a lot by his fellow soldiers because he's like, you're hiding in a ditch. He's like, I cannot see anything. So in the movie, the, the conversation might be made up, but it's still true. Um, Albert Bly is hiding in the ditch and Captain Spears comes and stands over him. And there's bullets flying everywhere and the captain's just standing there above ground, not cowering, not getting down undercover, nothing. And, and he says, he's looking down at Albert Blythe in the ditch and he says, Blythe, why are you in the ditch? He said, I'm scared, sir. He said, wrong. We're all scared. Your problem is you still think there's hope, meaning to survive this. So once you decide that your life is on the line, then you can be a good soldier. Folks, that's right up Jesus' alley. If you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. This is the end of your life, to follow me. You are in a battle, and you cannot be a soldier if you're afraid to die, if you think you have any hope of surviving. 
My life is not my own. It belongs to Jesus. And I will live through this battle or not, depending on what he wants. Captain Spear said, we're all scared. You hit in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But Blythe, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. All war depends on it. That's the Christian life, folks. We cannot be afraid. The only thing that guarantees is loss. It guarantees that we will lose. So, understand that there is a battle and you have to fight. You have enemies. It's not imagination. It isn't psychology. There is an enemy out there that is fighting against you to oppress you and wants to kill you. And yes, Jesus is our Savior, but he saves us through the battle. The second thing I want to talk to you about striking your arrows is to obey quickly with intentionality. Be intentional about your obedience. Apparently, King Joash is kind of like, okay, I'll just do whatever the prophet says. This makes no sense, but I'll just half-heartedly go through the motions. But obey quickly with faith. Slow obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. The story of Abraham, when God tells him to offer Isaac, it says early the next morning he saddled his donkey. Like Abraham gave himself no time to rationalize his way out of this. I just, God said it, I have to obey it. Don't be casual about the word of God. Obviously, if we think God's telling us to sell our house and move to Uganda as a missionary, you don't do that overnight. I mean, you need to talk to family and pastor and get counsel, and there are big decisions that you need to make sure that it's God, but once you know that it's God, then, then obey quickly. Don't be, don't be slow about getting baptized if the Lord puts that on your heart. Don't be slow about volunteering for a ministry, or, or if God puts somebody on your heart in the middle of the day to pray for, stop what you're doing and pray for them. You know, write the note, send the text, whatever. You get a scripture, and God says, send this scripture to this person, and I had a guy in the church do that for me two weeks ago, and it was exactly what I needed in that exact moment. And, and he didn't know that. He just was obedient. I think the Lord wants me to send you this verse. I'm like, thank you so much. It really matters. We, if God says give, you give. And you do it quickly with, with intent. Don't be casual about it. Seize opportunity. Opportunity is really important. I want to pass on some statistics from a podcast that I was listening to this week. And the podcast was talking about Sales actually was the example, but it occurs in evangelism. It pertains to all of our obedience to God. But the context of the podcast was seizing opportunity, and the example was sales. And the example was actually bulk email, junk, spam, texts, and emails that we all get advertising businesses. So whenever you buy anything online, they force you to give them their, your email, and now we all get 100 emails you know, from all, everything we've ever bought anything from. And I just delete, 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 delete. No. Anyway, so you know what I'm talking about. So we call it junk mail on our end or spam. But, but the business paid somebody for the, those emails to be sent out to connect with their customers. So from their point of view, they are paying to connect with us. This is our service. This is our product. We want to meet prospective customers. And those emails, you, either you click on them and open them up or there's a form in there. Yes, I would like to know more about your product. Here's my name. And so the eventual goal is for them to get connected with us. But the, what this podcast was saying about seizing opportunity is that when you and I fill out some form online, yes, I would like to know more about your product, or here's my email. I'd like to receive your information. 
if the business will respond with a live person, not some automated email, but if they will respond with a live person in less than a minute, there is greater than a 98% chance they will make a sale. Greater than 98% if they will respond with a live person in less than a minute. If they wait 20 minutes, that percentage goes down to 60%. In 20 minutes, people who voluntarily asked for information, yes, I would like to know about this product, in 20 minutes they've moved on and they're not going to call back. If the business responds in 24 hours, it's less than 1% chance that they're going to answer. Less than 1% chance in 24 hours wait. I'm gone. That's, that's out of my mind. I've moved on. The average response time for businesses that send out those emails is 42 hours. So they pay for the opportunity, and when the opportunity happens, then they don't capitalize on it because they wait 42 hours to answer with a real person. That's true of all the ministry the church does. We miss so much opportunity because we don't just jump on it when the Spirit says go. When you're in a conversation with a neighbor or a coworker, I'm not saying like grab their throat and get Jesus now, but I'm just saying jump on the opportunity. Seize the opportunity. Don't be casual about it. Don't be slow about it. When God tells you to do something, do it right then. As soon as you know it's God, you may need to pray and wait and seek counsel and talk to your spouse and all that. I'm not saying you give away your life savings without talking to your husband. You know, that, not that kind of stuff. But um, once you know it's God, obey quickly. I'm talking about striking your arrows. We have to realize it's a fight and I have to get in the fight. And when God tells me to do something, whether it makes sense or not, whether it seems pertinent or not, just do what he says and do it intently and do it quickly. And then a third point, I want to take you to Judges chapter 8. This is the story of Gideon and his 300 men. They had just fought a battle where they smashed the pitchers and had their torches and their horns and they'd won this great victory and the enemy runs away and it says in verse, chapter 8 verse 4, Gideon then crossed the Jordan River with his 300 men and though exhausted, they continued to chase the enemy. And when they reached Succoth, which is a village, uh, an Israelite village, so these are his own people, Gideon asked the leaders of the town, please give my warriors some food, they're very tired. I'm chasing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of the Midianites. And the elders of Succoth replied, catch Zeba and Zalmunna first, and then we will feed your army. All right, so Gideon and his men have just won a major battle, but the enemy has escaped and they've run off. And so he and his 300 men pursue them, and it says here, they reach the Jordan River and though exhausted, they continue to chase the enemy. This, I'm talk, talking about striking your arrows. You keep fighting past the point of exhaustion. Even when you have prayed about something for 25 years and not seen a change in your family or your health or whatever it is that you are banging on heaven's door for, you keep fighting even when you're exhausted. I think we should, take us back to that scripture, Amber, please. I think we should all just say this aloud. And though exhausted, they continued to chase the enemy. And though exhausted, they continued to chase the enemy. They've won a great victory, but that was not enough because it wasn't total victory. Gideon wouldn't even quit when he, most of us would like, yay, I saw a part of a miracle. Thank you, God. And that's true. We should 
You should be very happy when we see it, but, but don't stop short. Joash only got part of a miracle because he didn't bang the arrows enough. Gideon saw that, okay, we've seen a great victory and we've chased them out of our land. We're going to follow them to their land and take them out. And though exhausted, they continue to chase the enemy. I know a lot of you are exhausted. You're tired from life. You're tired from your problems. And you're tired of asking God to fix your problems. Very many Christians pray for a short time or a long time and then just give up. I prayed about that for three nights in a row. Or I prayed about that for 20 years. Wherever your level of endurance is, everybody is tempted to give up. But we keep striking the arrows past the point of exhaustion. We keep fighting until the enemy is defeated. And the other thing that I want to tell you out of this story is Gideon asked his own people for help. We need food. We've been fighting all night and all day, and we're exhausted, and we need help. But the people of this village were so used to the Midianites defeating them that they said, we're not going to help you because you're not going to win. And if we help you, when you go and lose, Zeba and Zalmunna will come back, and they'll kill us for helping you. So at some point, and many probably time, multiple times in everybody's life, at some point, you will desperately need somebody to stand with you. I need a miracle. I need you to pray for me. And they will shoot you down. Well, that ain't going to happen. Well, that's a stupid idea. How could you believe for that? And maybe they mean to, and maybe they don't. Maybe it's just they didn't mean to hurt your feelings, but you may find yourself all alone in whatever battle you are fighting with the Lord, keep fighting. Gideon didn't lose hope. He didn't collapse on the ground and cry and pout because his own people won't help him. It's a sad fact of life that you can be praying for something in your marriage or your family or your health or your finances and, and you bear your soul to somebody and they're like, well, that doesn't, that's not for today. I've never, I've never seen those miracles. I, I don't know. Or, or they just offer excuses as to why God maybe didn't answer your prayer. And by the time you're done talking, you're just deflated and don't have any faith left. Don't quit. Obey even when you're all alone. So my question is, as I read the story of Joash with his arrows, it was the first thing Sarah asked when we were talking about it last night. And I'm sure it's on most of your minds is, well, how do I know how many times to bang the arrows? Because it seems unfair, Elisha didn't tell Joash to bang them five or six times. He just said, bang them on the ground. And so Joash does it three times. Like, that seems rational. He didn't say how many times to do it. And then he's in trouble because it wasn't enough. What that does to me is like, oh no, if I don't pray enough, God can't work. Anybody think that? Yeah, uh-huh. That's performance pressure and worry and fear and that ain't going to get me anywhere. Jesus gives us the answer to this. Next scripture is Luke 18. Jesus told us how many times to bang the arrows. 
And Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. There it is. We don't even need to read the rest of the story. Always pray and don't lose heart. Keep fighting your battle. Keep wrestling with God. Keep praying until it's fixed, until you get what you want, until what you need is there. Always pray and do not give up. Just keep banging the arrows until you get your answer. That's how many times. This stuff I've been wrestling with God for 25 years, and on the outside, it, looked, it doesn't look like I'm a day closer to it, to it than I was 25 years ago. The only thing that's true is I'm 25 years closer to it than I was. I've been praying about something super specific and individual, a, a thing that I want the Lord to give me for 25 years, and it does not look like I'm a day closer. I've been tempted to give up. I wonder, oh, well, this must not be God's will. I guarantee you, if I decide that and quit, it won't happen. That's the only guarantee. Otherwise, I just keep banging on the door. And this is how Jesus told us to do it. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In this parable, Jesus puts his church in the place of a powerless widow. She has no money. She has no political clout. She has no way to get justice except bang on the door of this judge every day. And God says, even this judge who is not just, who doesn't care about people or fear God, even he is going to give her what she wants if she bugs him enough. So your heavenly father who loves you and who is just and who cares about your situation, of course, if you just keep banging on his door, he will give you what you want. Keep praying and don't quit. That's the answer. How many times do I bang the arrow? Until you get what you're praying about. Keep praying, keep fighting your battle, keep banging your arrows, keep obeying whatever God's telling you to do. Don't make excuses. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. There is something you can do about it. Ask the Lord. You're not a victim in your own life. Just keep striking until God says, that's enough. I've heard your prayer. Your answer's on the way. Or you pray without ceasing and you don't lose heart. You just keep going until you get an answer. And, and when he does tell you to do something, do it with seriousness. Do it with urgency. Not worry and fear of, what am I not doing? God's not answering my prayer. It must be my fault. And all that garbage that we run through our mind and all that just... Fear isn't going to connect us with God. All the what-ifs and the performance pressure and all that, just, just, God, I will do whatever you say, and I don't know what to do, so I'm waiting on your instruction. And he'll tell you. Somebody will say something at some point, and you'll be able to follow the Spirit. Maybe you need to fast, and then, and then you just endure. You just endure. And then the Bible says when you've done all you know to do, just stand. You just stand. Okay, God, here I am. I've prayed all the prayers that I know to pray. I've done everything I know that you've said to do. Here I am. This is my request. This is my need. And you just stand, and you stand, and you stand, and you stand. 
and that grandkid that's off in the pig pen will come to his senses and come home and find you standing in the driveway. Uh, your, the health problem, I don't know. I mean, the financial need, whatever it is, you just you do what you know to do, and you keep praying without losing heart, and you never quit, and you just stand. So I wish, I wish I could pass you out arrows and we would all bang our arrows, but I can't. So just as a prophetic act this morning, if there is some scenario in your life that you are in your heart or mind as I'm speaking this morning, you're like, yes, this is what I need to strike my arrows about. I'm just going to have you stand up and we're going to pound out our prayers like the widow on the door of the judge. We're just gonna, I just want you to pound the back of the seat in front of you or if you don't have a seat in front of you, First service, Sam got on the floor, just pounded out his prayer. Just get, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> but, I mean, get really serious. Get real with Jesus and pound out your prayer. Like, God, I need an answer to this right now. So if, you, if that's you, stand up. You don't have to stand up if there's nothing on your heart or mind. But if there is, if there's something in your life that you are serious about, we're going to strike our arrows. And I just, you don't need to say anything. Just in your heart, in your mind, between you and God, just start pounding out your prayer. I mean, if you want to use your own knee, you go right ahead. <laughs> the, the back of the seat, just, just pound your prayer. God, I believe you. God, you know my need. You know that I need this, and you know that I'm looking to you, and I am doing my best to obey your word, and I'm doing your be my best to have faith. Lord, and everything that you have told me to do that I am aware of, I have obeyed, Lord, and I want my answer. Give me justice. Lord, heal me. Fix our family, Lord. Bring, restore our relationships. Bring forgiveness and restoration and healing, Lord. Bring the finances, Lord, the needs, the desires even of our hearts, Lord. We pound out our prayer to you, Lord. We bang our arrows on the ground, and we will not quit, and we will not lose heart until we see an answer to what we're asking for, Lord. The salvation of our children and our grandchildren, Lord. Supernatural healing in our bodies. Restoration of broken marriages. Hope in hopeless family situations, Lord. But we will not quit pounding until you pour out your spirit and revival in this congregation, in this valley, Lord. We call on the name of Jesus and we knock on your door and we will not quit. Amen.